Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Matthew chapter number six. I am like about to jump out my skin excited about this message. Like, I'm so hyped. Um, uh, we're in a series called Pray Fast. And that's not an instruction to uh, uh, literally pray fast. It's pray, period, fast, period. Uh, We're talking about prayer and fasting. How many people were here last week uh, as we talked about intercessory prayer? How many people have a better understanding of intercessory prayer now and you're like more confident to do it? Uh, If you missed out on last week, you can go to our podcast or you can download our Embassy City app. Uh, and get caught up on all the messages, but specifically, I do want you to have context to all the messages for this month, because as Juliet said earlier, I do believe it's a catalyst for what God wants to do in our lives corporately as believers and individually as well. Uh, so last week, we talked about intercessory prayer, and today we're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about uh, fasting. And so the title of this message, if you're a nerd, write this down, because nerds rule the world. Um, uh, when you fast. That's the title of the message, when you fast. Not if you fast. (laughs) When you fast. And of course, you all know I'm going to prove it in Scripture. Matthew chapter number 6, starting at the 16th verse. Now, just to give you context, Anytime we talk about Matthew chapter number six, uh, we, we're usually talking about praying. And uh, that's where we find the Lord's Prayer. And that's where we really uh, uh, kind of key in on how Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. And he does say in verse number seven, when you pray. And he gives instructions on how to pray. When you pray, don't babble on and on like the l- religious people do. Uh, uh, but go and shut the door. Uh, and get private, get along with God, and, and communicate with him. And then he says, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. He gives the whole prayer. At the end of that, in verse number 16, it says, and when you fast. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing that's funny. The, 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 the most that we ever hear about fast, and I don't know when this happened in our cultural context, but we usually hear about fasting in January. I don't know how January became the month of fasting, but it's kind of like it's a new year. We're going to push back our plate or push back something, and we're going to just dedicate that month to God fasting. But we would never tell anyone to pray for a month, and that would settle the whole year. January is our month for prayer and fasting, so go in real good because you got to get the rest of those 11 months covered this month. No, we tell people to pray. We pray often, but we don't fast as often as we pray. I think that's what's lacking in some of our uh, intimate time with God is that there's not a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. Now, the reason why I'm so serious and passionate about this is because I come from a spiritual legacy of people that pray 
and fast. I learned this from my mother and my father. This is how I grew up. At God's Way Holiness Fellowship, uh, which is a church my parents pastored for about 15 years, uh, uh, every Sunday, I'll never forget this, Mommy, every Sunday uh, was church fast day until after the morning service. And so we fasted every single Sunday. No one had breakfast in the morning. So after service was over, we were happy to go to the buffet, but there was a, there was a spiritual discipline being uh, worked into the fabric of our uh, walk with Jesus that we constantly are pushing back our plate to focus on what God would want to say to us. And so, and so I really believe that when Jesus is talking here and giving instructions to his disciples, he's not saying, hey, pray often and then choose a month to really fast. He's saying, I want you to pray and fast often. I want both of these to be a part of what you do as a lifestyle and not a one-off thing that you do occasionally. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to, <laughs> they try to look miserable and disheveled. So people will admire them for their fasting. Have you ever met somebody who's, who's been fasting, but they want you to know it? So you all go to lunch, and you sit down, and you're like, oh, man, I'm about to, oh, man, I couldn't wait for lunch. I, didn't, I skipped breakfast this morning, and so I'm going to eat this burger and these fries, and they're just sitting there. Like, hey, man, are you going to eat anything? And they're like, um, can I still eat my burger, though? Or, I mean, that's what you're doing. Am I okay to proceed? He says, don't, don't look miserable and, and, and disheveled so people will admire you for your fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward that they will ever get. But when you fast, he says it again, comb your hair and wash your face. <laughs> Put on some makeup. We don't care that you're in your 21st day of a liquid-only fast. Don't look like it. Get you a smoothie and settle down. Okay? <laughs> Comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one, here's it is, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. That's what's exciting about fasting. Now, let me ask, uh, take a poll, and don't feel bad if you haven't, okay? How many people have, have been on the fast? You've, you've been on the fast before, okay? All right, put your hands down. That's good. How many people have never been on the fast before? Thank you, thank you. Be honest. Okay, I've never been on the fast before. Okay, uh, raise your hands again. I've never been on the fast before. Okay, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. How, how many people in this room, by show of hands, have ever had breakfast? If every hand doesn't go up, you're asleep. <laughs> Start waving like, go breakfast. It's your birthday. Breakfast. Okay. Right? By show of hands, how many people have ever had breakfast before? Okay. By the sheer virtue that you've had breakfast, that means you fasted before. Because the word literally is break fast. It's an extended 
period before the next meal. Now, you don't get credit for that. <laughs> Sweet, I should be close to God then. I fast for at least seven hours a day. Okay? But what I'm saying is, uh, you've already gone an extended period without food. You've already gone an extended period without something that you felt like you needed. And if you could do that subconsciously, I believe that you could do it consciously with a focus and an attention on what God may want to do in a certain season of your life. Um, there have been uh, many occasions over the last 21 years uh, that I have felt prompted to go on a fast. And there have been other occasions where I didn't feel prompted by God to go on a fast, but I really felt like, because this was a, a spiritual discipline of mine, I'm going to push my plate back because I'm believing God for an answer, or, or there's just some things going on with me that are not good right now, and I think if I push back my plate, I can really be uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, and see him change from things. Uh, I've done three 40-day fasts in my life. I'm going to tell you about the last one uh, at the end of the message. Uh, that's not like a ooh-wee, go Tim thing. It's just, again, there have been three uh, uh, moments in my life in the last 21 years where I've really felt prompted by the Lord to go on a fast. But I want to give you uh, the three points that I have for this message, and, and, and just as a header, just put the three benefits of fasting, okay? The three benefits of fasting. And this, these might be uh, benefits uh, that you've never thought about or maybe different from what your top three is. Uh, but when I think about fasting, uh, these are the things that come to my mind first, okay? Point number one in the three benefits of fasting, and I, I'll put this all in uh, first person, it kills my flesh. Fasting kills your flesh faster than anything else. When you push back your plate and say, Lord, uh, I'm going to focus for an extended period of time uh, on something that I need done or an answer that I need from you or, or to, to get closer to you, to have uh, uh, more discipline in my life. The moment you say, uh, I'm not going to eat breakfast or lunch today, I'm going to fast basically from the time that I wake up into the time that I have dinner. Here's what your flesh does. No! What are you doing? We are hungry now. I promise you, the first time, if you've never fasted or you haven't fasted in a long time, the moment you say we're going on a fast, for some reason, your whole body goes, no, we're not. I don't know what it is. You wake up that day extra hungry. I mean, you're checking yourself like, I'm not usually this hungry for breakfast. But the day I say I'm fasting, your whole body, roar, roar. Your stomach is not growling. It is like roaring at you. Ah, ah, we're going to die. You look at your watch. It's 7.05. I've only been awake for 20 minutes. We're going to die. I need bacon. I need bacon now. I need a donut. You start driving down the street, everything looks good. You're like, you could get an Egg McMuffin. You can get French sticks from Breaker King. I mean, everything starts screaming at you. You can stop at Kroger and make a breakfast yourself. I mean, it is crazy because your flesh doesn't like 
when you don't give it its way. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The flesh doesn't like when you don't feed it. Not just naturally, emotionally, relationally. The flesh hates when you ignore it. And God loves it. He loves when you ignore your flesh. Because what you're saying is, God, I, I am more concerned about you than I am about this breakfast. I'm not telling you to turn into a superhero and, and go on a 40-day fast. Don't do that unless the Lord has told you to do that and you've checked with your doctor. You may have a pre-existing medical condition that would preclude you from fasting for an extended period of time. If you're diabetic or, you have, or you're hypoglycemic, that might not be the thing to do. So you might have to pick your spots in doing that. Be wise. But what I am saying is the moment you start drawing attention to say, I am really going to buffet and, and turn back the attention that I give to this to give the attention to you, your whole body will go crazy. Expect it. Expect some drama to break out. Expect a distraction to hit you. Anybody, be honest, anybody ever been on a fast and you were on your third chip before you realized? <laughs> bam, 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 okay? Bam. You got distracted, you're like, hey man, I'm fasting. And you were like, mm hmm, and then what else, girl? And then what else? Oh, is that, oh, wait, oh, ah, ah, Jesus. It was only three chips, Jesus. I know you're not petty enough to not give me credit. I'm so sorry. And here's the thing. God's not petty enough to be like, oh, it's canceled. No, man, I was about to move. I was about to move heaven and earth, but them three chips got in the way. Set your heart towards it. And, and start with something you can do. And it may not be food. I'm going to show you a scripture in just a little while that lets me know that uh, uh, fasting can extend beyond food. Food may not be a thing that's a big struggle for you, but social media might be. If you fast from social media for a month, you, you, you might lose as much weight as you did if you, <laughs> if you turn back your plate. I mean, you're just walking around like, I haven't double tapped anything in... In three and a half weeks, pray for me. <laughs> but it does kill your flesh. Here's what uh, David says about it uh, in uh, Psalms 109, verse 24. He says, my knees are weak from fasting, and I am skin and bones. He's actually praying about all the stuff that's going on. He's on the run from Saul. He turns to fasting as a way to... Uh, uh, see what God is going to do to resolve the issues that he's going through. And he says, my knees are weak from fasting, and I'm skin. I've been fasting so long, I'm skin and bones at this point. But it kills your flesh. Let me tell you something. When you kill your flesh, you become more sensitive to God. I've been on an extended fast since 2009. I feel like the Holy Spirit... Uh, called me to go on a fast. At that, at that time, I was uh, prayerfully considering ch uh, transitioning 
from a church that I had been out for 13 and a half years by the time we were uh, done with that season. Uh, but I, I went on a fast, and I just asked the Lord, hey, I, I just need to put this before you. I really need your heart on this situation. I don't know what to do. My heart is here. Uh, my life is here. I met my wife here. This has been an incredible season. And when I started to pray about it, I felt like the Lord said, okay, I want you to give up meat and dairy. I don't want you to eat that anymore. And so I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and so I, I started to fast from meat and dairy. So I was basically a vegetarian for two years. And uh, he, here's what I understood about that season. When you push back your plate and you begin to say, Lord, I want to be in tune with you, there is no way that you can become that diligent as it relates to what you put in your mouth and not become diligent as to what you put in your soul. When you become consciously aware, I'm not going to eat that, I'm not going to eat that, I'm pushing back from that, I'm abstaining from that, it starts to make your spiritual senses more aware to the point that you could be watching something and the spirit will say, you, you shouldn't watch that. And the, and the spirit was probably saying that to you all along, but because nothing else was dead for him to be more alive, you couldn't hear it, and you become more spiritually sensitive. You'll be listening to certain music, and the Holy Spirit will be like, turn that off. I don't want to hear that right now. And you're like, but that's my jam. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit like, is like, yeah, but it's not mine. And you're like, I'm so sorry. Oh. What would you like to hear? <laughs> Near the cross? Kills your flesh. Point number two, write this down. The Holy Spirit gets to have his way in and through my life. Here's what happens when you kill your flesh. The natural byproduct is the Holy Spirit goes, oh, now I really can do what I came to do. I really get to focus in now and do what I need to do through you. You do know that the Holy Spirit wants to do things in the earth, but he can't do them unless he has us in concert with him. He can't do it unless we are partnering with him to get it accomplished in the earth. And so here's what the Holy Spirit says. Oh, wow. You're pushing back your plate. Great. Now I can push forth my kingdom agenda. You're pushing back what you want. Great. Now I can push to the forefront my desires and what I want. Perfect example of this is in Acts chapter number 13, the first four verses. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Pay close attention to this, okay? One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Look at verse number four. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying. I can't do anything less to earth unless I do it through a man or a woman. 
but I kind of need you out of my way so I could get in the way to do what I need to do. It wasn't that these men wanted to send Saul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit wanted to send Saul and Barnabas. And, and, and the Holy Spirit knew unless I get some men on my page in partnership with my will and my way, we can never release into the body of Christ who needs to be released. As long as you have your own agenda as to how you want things to go in your church, you will never get my agenda done. The best way for you to get out of my way is on a regular basis, pray and push back your plate so that there are no distractions that make you think this is part of your castle and not my kingdom. Let me be very, very clear about a castle mentality in a church. A castle mentality puts the person who's leading the church in charge. He has to be king because now I'm running what's going on here. The Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. I need you to kill your flesh. I know I've been the one that's placed you in leadership, but this ain't your church. This is my church. And the only way it's going to stay my church is if you shut down your system and constantly check in with me. It's the only way it's going to happen. Because the kingdom advances through people who are submitted to God's will and God's way. Here's why I use the uh, mentality, uh, 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 the, the term, I'm sorry, castle mentality. Uh, the reason why castle mentality is not of God is because there's no castle in heaven. Now, if you know anything about kingdoms, if you've watched any of Lord of the Rings, okay, uh, you know that a castle is the last fortified stronghold of a kingdom. If you get the castle, you have the whole kingdom, the king's domain, okay? Uh, but a castle mentality doesn't match what's in heaven because there's no castle in heaven because it's a fortified defense and a stronghold. There's no need for one in heaven because there's nobody to advance on it. So, so what's in heaven? Not a castle, a house. And Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, the mentality of someone that is going to take God's movement and extend it for the kingdom of God is somebody that goes, God, you've entrusted me with these people but none of them belong to me. Here's what did not happen in this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, the Holy Spirit said, hey, uh, I want you to set aside Saul and Barnabas. And uh, uh, the, the people in Antioch didn't go, mm-mm. Oh, no, I'm keeping them. Those are my people. And they're not leaving. Well, I say so. No. They said, oh, okay, let's pray and fast. Started praying fast, they laid hands on them, and then who gets the credit? They don't even get the credit. <laughs> Verse number four, so the Holy Spirit is the one who sent them out. Who are the people that laid hands on these people? They don't even get the credit. Why? Because now they're out of the way, and the Holy Spirit gets to expand his kingdom the way that he wants to expand it. Okay? So, uh, point number two is uh, uh, the Holy Spirit gets to have his way in and through my life. Point number three, write this down. I get answers to my questions 
ooh, this is so good. And I'm in a position to accept them. Man, oh, we're going to get into something right here. When we fast, it kills our flesh. The Holy Spirit gets to have his way in and through us. And we get answers to our questions. And we're in a position to accept the answer that he gives. It's going to be tense for a minute, but stay with me. 2 Samuel chapter number three, uh, chapter 12, starting at the 13th verse. This is after David sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan came to him and uh, called him out on it. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, uh, utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. That's a tough thing to hear. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? When David heard them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We wouldn't, we don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Here's basically what he's saying. I got my answer. And because I've been fasting, Lord, help me with this. I'm in a position to receive and accept what he has to say. This had to be one of the most heartbreaking things for this man. To hear a word from the Lord that we would all rebuke today. My son's not going to die and I'm going to believe God for it. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray to see God change. And then God doesn't change. He doesn't do what you thought he would do. But because your flesh is out of the way. You can more align with God's will and say, not my will, but yours be done in this situation and in my life. He said, why should I fast anymore? He said, the child is dead. Can I bring him back again? Look at this perspective. You can only have this perspective if you've been spending time with God. I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Here's his perspective. I'll see that child again when I die. But I just won't see him on this side. Listen, let me tell you why this gets to me. Um, my brother got killed in a car accident in September, on the 17th of September, 2004. And I was angry with God. 
very angry. I told him I was never going to preach for him again. And I had the biggest temper tantrum you have ever seen out of someone that's been, at that time, walking with Jesus for almost a decade. I was heated. And I let God know it in no uncertain terms. And I did not hold back. I I didn't do any of the advice of some people, don't ever question God. Whatever he says, you know, just go along with it. No, I didn't go along with nothing. And I gave him a piece of my little bitty tiny dot of a brain compared to his sovereign wisdom. And here's what I love about God. He didn't, he didn't get mad at me for it. He let me go through that process. I began to fast and pushing my plate back. And, and, and really, I was pushing my plate back because I really just didn't have an appetite. I was grieving. I was mourning. Had dropped a lot of weight. I just, I, I, I had almost completely shut down. And uh, the Holy Spirit, through one of my counselors, uh, posed this question. After about four months, I was still really in my feelings and still upset about it. And, he, and the counselor asked me, but it was the Holy Spirit through the counselor that asked me, hey, so would you rather have had the 27 or 28 years that you had with your brother and continue to carry those memories or not know him at all? Never have had a memory of him at all. And for some reason, that thing hit me at the core of who I was. And I said, God, I'm going to stop being angry with you for the loss of my brother and start thanking you for giving me 27 years with the best little brother that I could have ever had. Just changed the way I looked at what was going on. Here's the second narrative. This one's very, very interesting. Because uh, the person that goes on a fast is not even a believer. This is great. Daniel chapter number six, verse number one. Daniel the Mede, Darius the Mede, decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the, in the way Daniel was uh, handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders uh, that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. So official and a Uh, uh, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Darius learned that the law had been signed, he went home and, uh, I'm sorry, but when Daniel, this is great, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open 
toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. This is a dude that gives no cares. If he went to the grocery store and picked up two cares, he wouldn't have one to give you on this. <laughs> Daniel is working for the king. This edict just comes out, hey, you have to uh, now not pray to anyone, divine or human, except to Darius. And, and Daniel goes, that's great. Y'all do that. Goes home and doesn't go, oh, well, you know what, maybe I'll be quiet about my faith a little bit because, you know, some things have changed politically and so maybe I shouldn't be as uh, vocal about my faith. No, the boy just opens the windows three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I love you. He just doesn't care. And so now they feel like that they've trapped him, right? So uh, then, verse number 11, the officials went together uh, to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did not you sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. A decision stands It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you. Hey, underline that or pay close attention to that thing, captive from Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah. Uh, Is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that a king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king, get this, this is amazing to me. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. So so he fasted from food, but he also fasted from his usual entertainment. He turned Netflix off. He was like, this would not be a Netflix and chill night. I want everybody to stay away from me. I am going to spend time. This is an unbeliever (laughs) who knows more about the principle of fasting than some believers. He didn't want to do it. He couldn't go against his word. And so he goes, I know I'm the king over this, but I'm not the king over this. And though I can't do anything about the situation, maybe the king... The real king whose government is on his shoulders. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe he can do something about the situation. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? There's a little pause. Daniel answers. Long live the king. That had to be dope. Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. 
For if I had found, for I have been found innocent in your sight, I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. Uh-oh, the clapback is real. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. That is gangster. Can you imagine the misses? Really? Really? I got to go too? Just because of him? Why don't y'all just get him? The whole generation had to go. That's crazy. I can't, I can't touch that. Okay. Um, the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the lion's den. When you get caught in midair, when you get tossed, ah, oh, <laughs> gone, done, they were done. Daniel, who was from the tribe of Judah, was put in a den with some lions. But the lions couldn't touch Daniel because I think that they perceived that that man had lion in his DNA. Jesus Christ is referred to as the lion from the tribe of Judah. The created lions knew who the real lion really was and said, I can't touch him. I, I, I don't know. Best I can do is give him a place to lay down. He, I can be a pillow for him, but I just can't, I can't eat him. We the king of the jungle, not the king of the universe. Let me tell you something. Fasting works. Fasting works. I have permission from my wife to share this last uh, story. Um, the last, like I told you in the, in the beginning, the last fast that I went on for 40 days uh, was for my marriage. Uh, you all have heard me uh, talk and be transparent about um, uh, me being molested when I was eight and uh, getting into pornography when I was 12. Uh, but when I, when I gave my life to Jesus, th there was still a strong struggle with pornography. I, I didn't have any victory at all in that area. And it really did a work on our marriage. And as much as Juliet loves me, and as much as she was committed to the vow, uh, there was a season uh, when her heart just went cold. And she was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can stay with you. Uh, justifiably, because of what was going on in my life, it was, I, I didn't have a handle on it. And uh, when I thought my marriage was going to end, the only thing I knew to do was to push back my plate and go on a fast. And I said, Lord, I can't change my wife's heart, but you can. I cannot imagine how difficult it would have to be to have someone that hurt you try to be there to heal you. And I don't know how to do that, but I think you do. And I went on a fast. And I pushed back my plate. Now, y'all already know I'm a skinny dude. So <laughs> I remember the first, uh, I think the second 
40-day fast I went on, I was still the young adult pastor uh, at the Potter's house. And I remember some people coming in and going, wow, oh, hey, Tim, you, you all right? Or need to go to the doctor? Any drug habits for me? That we don't know about? We'll pray with, we'll pray with you. I pushed my plate back. I know firsthand what David means in Psalm 109 and 24. I am skin and bones, but I need you to do something. And he did. He did something in our marriage that I could not do. And it wasn't just that Juliet decided, oh, I guess I'll stay with the porn guy. God did a real work in her heart and did a real work in my heart. And we just celebrated 18 years of marriage, man. Fasting works. Pushing back your plate works. Cutting out the outside noise works. You want a better way to pray for our nation with all the craziness that's going on? Push back your plate. Get off social media. Ask God for a real way for you to be able to intercede and speak truth to power. Because it won't happen in a blog or a tweet or your Facebook post. It's going to happen when a group of people get together and pray fast. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.